Thank you, Steve, my friend, for this wonderful opening. I can only say in a word, wow, <laughs> <laughs> it has been beautiful. And, uh, and indeed, uh, to focus, uh, I will treat of this book uh, Steve mentioned with the idea that it relates to boundless human potential in a particular aspect is the potential of uniting the inner plurality of human being. So that's the, that's the main idea that will guide us through the talk. Um, my human potential was allowed to write a paper, which is already good, but was not allowed to put it in, in proper English. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I will have uh, some difficulties with the language, but I hope this will not be uh, bothering you. Um, little by little, I keep learning some more English. Since, since the first time, I, the first time I had to read the notes, Cecilia was reading to me my paper, and I took uh, a kind of transliteration notes in order to be capable to read. So it became a little bit better in the future. <laughs> so uh, we have this this question of the of the translation, and then there is uh, something I will ask of you. I'm presenting a first approach to this main work of Ibn Arabi. I have still a lot of questions concerning the, the work in many aspects, and those questions may eventually be addressed to you during the, the paper, and if anybody has any answer or suggestion, I will appreciate whether it is during discussion later or in the workshop in the, in the afternoon. Yes. Uh, or in any personal exchange in the future. It is a work that deserves uh, collective uh, interest and, and uh, mutual communication in order to, to solve the enigmas it, it offers to us. Now, before I start, let's think of the fact that those abadila, those servants of God of, uh, of whom Ibn Arabi is talking, are connected to the interior abadila of ourselves. So let's, let's consider that we are speaking of our inner community. To start with, before I come into some technical aspects of the book, uh, just some personal reflections as a frame to, to our understanding. Ibn Arabi refers to God frequently to explain the in inherent plurality of unicity as the one multiple. We could even say literally the one many, al-wahid al-kathir. Human being created in, the, in God's image, according to God's image or form, he is also thus one and multiple. The diverse names, attributes and divine characters manifest their effects in human being, in such a way that in each occasion, one or the others predominates in his state, his uh, spiritual station, or the secret of his heart in this uh, permanent journey of transformation. The names of the Prophet and the names of human servitude, as, as for example, Abdullah, which correspond to the divine names, express this inherent diversity, uh, this diversity proper to the condition of human receptivity. In a sense, 
in the human kingdom, al-Mamlaka al-Insaniyas, Ibn Arabi conceives uh, the matter, for example, in his book, Tadbirat Ilahiya, the diverse aspects and possibilities of a human being constitutes a kind of interior inner community. Human being, the, the realized human being, is the one who integrates the plurality of his multiple persons, inner persons, in his essential, essential unity. To recognize in oneself this uh, plural unity is fundamental to accept, understand, and respect the plurality of others. We cannot expect of a human being to be always the same uh, in, in relation to his estates, stations, acts, or expressions. Only having an open relationship with the essential being that integrates the diversity of the voices and manifestations of, his, of the interior of an individual, we will be able to establish harmony uh, in, in, in between the, the relations that by their changing and creative nature may, may be shown under the aspect of conflict. Because the names, according to the image, uh, suggested by the Sheikh in several writings, they quarrel, they fight for manifestation in their parliament, in the parliament of the names, they are discussing, as in the parliaments of our states actually, they quarrel actually, <laughs> they are not always in perfect harmony, they, they wish to manifest and so there is this image of appearance of conflict, right? So they, they wish to to express their specificity in this parliament. And with the orientation of the heart, the effects of the names as the, as the birds of the language of birds by Attar uh, will harmonize in this journey of return to the singularity of the one. In consequence, I understand that these teachings, uh, of, I understand from the teachings of Ibn Arabi that if we do not accept fully our interior diversity, we cannot respect, know, and love ourselves um, fully, integrally. And we cannot uh, reach a degree of realizing our condition of synthesis that unites the, the opposites. Nor, nor would be able thus to recognize, love, and respect the plural union of other people. So the one who do not realize his original condition of uh, jama, of, of jamia, sorry, human integrating, integrating human being, will not be able to recognize the incessantly renewed recreation of the states in the other human beings, nor the permanent transformation of theophanies in this world or the other dimension. Only the heart capable to adopt all forms may realize the mystery, the unifying mystery of the, of the real love, origin and essence of all manifestations. There is not conceivable after Ibn Arabi's thought to, to consider anything out of the divine plan, nothing that is not originated by his creative order, nothing that has no full sense in the process of realization and manifestation of the mysterious truth in whose ocean we are immersed. Expectatives, expectations, we say? Expectations? Expectations, no? Yeah, I think so. Expectations, predetermined ideas 
on how things should be or the others should be in a certain moment, if they are not fruit of uh, the result of divine inspiration, those are thus veils for, for, uh, that will um, not allow a pure receptivity and the open acceptation of providence. In the response to question number 48 of the, in the, in the questionnaire, in the, among the questions that Tirmidhi uh, asked for the, for the seal of the saints to come in time, it Narabi distinguished among the people of phenomens or places of manifestation, Ahl al Madahir, uh, and the, who are those who are subject, who are linked to the dual idea of uh, happiness or unhappiness, uh, recompense uh, or, or the opposite, chastisement punishment. or punishment. punishment. So those, these Ahl al-Mazahir, they are also Ahl al-Na'im wal-Azab. And he distinguished them from the people of unicity of the essence, Ahl al-Ahadiyyatuzlat, for whom there is no grace, no disgrace. La na'im indahum wa la azab. And he quotes the famous saying by Abu Yazid al-Bistami. Sometimes I was laughing, sometimes I was crying, but today, in, in this moment, I do not laugh, do not, do not uh, cry. He was asked, and how does your morning start? He answered, for me there is no morning nor evening. Morning and evening, and for those who are limited by some attribute, and I do not have attribute at all. So human being, free from the pretension of all appropriation, free from the identification with the attributes that uh, are connected to the manifestations of the effects of the names in the cosmos, may, may reach a state of transcending apparent duality of oppositions, restituting thus the integrating unity of his primigenous theomorphism, his condition of mirror of the real. This is the station without form nor attribute that is capable of adopting all forms and attributes. And the book we are going to deal with is a model and a guide mm, to reach an understanding of the nature of this um, boundless, unlimited grace which characterizes the model, the Muhammadian model of the Rahim Mutlaq, the unlimited mercifier exemplified by Ibn Arabi himself, who gives title to, to the wonderful biography <coughs> written in English. So may our hearts um, become capable of adopting this uh, divine grace. And uh, I will like to mention a, an image of the famous poem by Ibn Arabi, the, the particular image of the Kaaba of the pilgrim, he says in the poem of the heart becoming capable of the forms, Kaaba to Ta'ifin. That's to say, more precisely, the form of a Kaaba of the one who circumambulates. That's precisely what, what the image says, the Kaaba of the one who circumambulates. And note that the image of the cube or, or square, Kaaba, which is the meaning of Kaaba, seems to inscribe in, this, in the inclusive circle without beginning nor end, permanently actualized, is the, uh, thus image of the, now I need your help, of the 
a squaring of the circle, cuadratura del círculo, can we say, or the, uh, of, or, or the circle of the square, both are more or less equivalent symbols. Image, image thus of the holy city, which is the center of the existence. Now let's get, let's get back to the work and uh, mention some aspects of the title. The sample title, mnemotechnic, of this uh, book is De Kitabala Badila, so Book of the Servants of God, or Book of the, of the so-called Abdallah, which is a term used in, in Hadith literature referring to some particular historical individuals. But his title more original and extensive that we find in, in the most valuable uh, manuscript copies we have is Kalam al-Abadila fil haqaiq bi al-sinatil asma. That's to say, discuss of the servants of God on the, real, on the Celsian realities, haqaiq, by means of the tongues of the names. And when we say tongues, we, uh, I presume he refers both to the, to the tongue and to the language, both in both meanings, uh, because it, it names here has a personal dimension, having a, a tongue themselves. So we may, we may interpret the term kalam in a, in, a, in a more explicative way as sentences of knowledge or teachings because in fact, as you will see in the structure, every chapter is a, has got a number of sentences. But it may also be understood as a, an original and not changeable world coming from the realm of Fahwaniya, from the realm of... Uh, uh, of the order of God, so it, I'll explain later on. So this kalam has several meanings in the title. So first question for the audience, you may help me later on, is what, what title would you prefer for the, for the edition of the book? <laughs> and uh, the central uh, theme of the, the title suggests is that the formulation of the spiritual realities as expressed by means of the divine names. We are going to relate later on this haqaiq, this term, these realities, to the term akhlaq, divine uh, character traits or, or simply characters, uh, and we will see how it's relevant. On the other hand, it is interesting to note that in the preliminary index of each of the, of the sections of the first part, only the name, only only the name Abdullah, which will be the first name of every servant, so only Abdullah, followed by the name of servitude, another name with Abd, which means servant, so a name of servitude, uh, will, be, will be mentioned. So it will be mentioned, for example, Abdullah ibn Abdel Khaliq. This is how it appears in this index. For example, Abdullah ibn, uh, ibn Idris ibn Abdel Khaliq will appear without mentioning Idris. So in the indexes, Ibn Arabi will give preference to the mention of the divine name included in the, in the full name of the servant. While in many cases, it is the name of, this, of uh, the personal name of a servant, for example, Idris, which appears first. But this is an interesting detail. It is also very significant that in the base manuscript uh, for our edition, and when I say our edition, I mean Suad Hakim's and mine, because we are working in this book for many years. The edition is done years ago, but we couldn't find the, the moment to, to publish. It will happen soon, I, I hope. 
So in this manuscript, uh, Yusuf Aga, when Ibn Arabi has to mention the author, and this is repeated in several occasions, he literally says, whatever, that's to say, composition of one of the Gnostics, or uh, as the, the pronoun bad allow us to understand, and it is the case, of some Gnostics. Okay, so it's a composition of a group, of a number of Gnostics. That's the, the meaning of the expression. So he did not say, as in some other copies, for example, in Shah, Ibn Arabi or Ibn Arabi or whatever, uh, it does not say written by Ibn Arabi, but written by a number of Gnostics. Uh, I, I think this, this idea corresponds to the, to the inspired the spirit of this singular work that, in fact, uh, collect the sayings of a diversity of authors, those prototypical Gnostics whose names give title to the successive chapters of the book, and which are considered by Ibn Arabi himself as, as mm, real entities uh, who, who have in themselves a certain uh, autonomy. The Kitab al-Abadila is thus, from this perspective, a collective work. Ibn Arabi would be the compilator, compiler. the compiler, the Abadila themselves, the authors. We have a previous edition of the work. It, it was the precarious uh, edition of Abdel Qadir Ahmad, uh, in which we only find 101 chapter, and only 96 appearing in the index. Thus, at least 16 chapters are entirely missing. And that, that can give you an idea why scholars and readers in general did not focus so much in this work, being such a main work, because a, a proper a critical edition was not available. And, and this edition is obviously so, so precarious that one is mm, discouraged and say, well, better I go to Futuhat or something else, right? That's one, one uh, explanation, I think. The structure of this work of Bayib Narabi uh, has still um, a lot of questions for us. After this critical edition, it is clear that the full text will have 117 chapters, and not only these 101 chapters of the, of the Cairo edition, nor only the 114 chapters in, in correspondence with the numbers of surahs of the Quran that Chodkevich thought the work should have before uh, he had the opportunity to check the, the well-preserved manuscripts we, we have, which are copied from the autograph itself, so we, we can be sure of the edition. Now, these uh, 117 chapters mm, seem to correspond to the 117 characters or original prototypical dispositions, akhlaq, mentioned in the chapter 73 of Futuhat, where Ibn Arabi respond to the 155 questions um, by Hakim Tirmidhi, addressed, as I say, to the seal of sanctity. This is the only reference to the meaning of the number 117 I have known to the moment. Do you know any other reference? If you do, please, if you find at any moment, please get in touch. It's, a, it's an important key for the understanding of this work. And the question uh, of Hakim Tirmidhi is, Allah has 117 akhlaq. What are those, these 
characters, character traits, dispositions, difficult to translate because it has many, many meanings. It's from the root halaka, which is the root for creation and also for character. The response, uh, Ibn Arabi's response is mm, dense and very esoteric and is not explicit in explaining the relationship of those 117 with the book of the Abadila, which is not mentioned there. We are going to treat of the question later. Um, anyway, the question becomes uh, difficult when we realize that the book is, uh, has got two parts. I will not read because it gets long and complicated. I will make it more simple. The book has two parts. First part has got 50 chapters and in, in five sections of 10 chapters each. Second part has got, and this is called, in a manuscript we know, it, is, it should be called mm, mm, Jus al-Ma'arifa, the, the part on, on the immediate knowledge. And we have a second part of 67 chapters. Why? I mean, is, is that meaningful? Uh, why five sections of ten and suddenly seven, uh, 67 all the same without uh, separation? It must have uh, a meaning and I'll try to find out some possibilities, but is this is still a question of research and probably of inspiration. I wonder if somebody like, for example, Abdelbaki Miftah, who is immediately so knowledgeable in, in the science of, of numbers, he can really deal with this matter. I will send my ideas to him and, and check, uh, because he really is somebody who can immediately calculate of these things in many, in many different numerical systems and could help. Anyway, uh, there is a problem in, man in a manuscript, just to mention, this is addressed to the people of the archive, so mainly to Jane, to Steve, and such people interested in manuscripts. The fact is that in, a co in, in the main copy, it is written, the Sheikh completed this book, uh, etc., and this is written at the end of the first part. So then this commentary is corrected, etc. There is a whole, um, there is a certain quantity of technical aspects to solve uh, in relation to the, to the copies. So I will leave this question. And, and let, me, let me briefly mention something which is relevant in terms of literary value. Many works by Ibn Arabi are characterized, in my view, among other things, by the creative literary creativity in, in a diversity of planes. In the case of Abadila, uh, whom Ibn Arabi considers, as we have seen, authors of this collective work, the master offers us a, a very singular example of a literary recourse to heteronymy. Can we call it like that? If we say pseudonym, uh, we say in Spanish heteronymy. Pseudonymy, heteronymy. Meaning, a pseudonymous is something you use as a literary name, eventually to hide your name. I write under the name of such. But heteronymy is the, the procedure by which I could have a, a, a number of names and eventually I write under the inspiration of this character or the other as thus. Examples of this kind of treatment we find in, for example, in, in modern literature, a very known example is Fernando Pessoa. 
he's the, the famous um, Portuguese poet. He would write under the name of Ricardo Reis, Alberto Cairo. He has many characters. Every Portuguese knows all of them are Fernando Pessoa, but somehow they are, I mean, they are very well characterized. Each one is a different poet or writer. The same is true for such characters as, for example, Lope de Vega, the, the, the theater writer in, in Spain. Uh, he had a number of names as well. Or for the thinker Soren Kierkegaard. He wrote at least under five different names, I think. Very interesting names, by the way. Uh, so we I, I could go with uh, other examples of, of uh, Antonio Machado and so many. We can also think of the diversity of persons Plato would use in, a, in, in his dialogues, and finally they, they all represent aspects of his own thinking, right? But this is, if we think of theater or we think of dialogues of Plato, this is a different matter. What now we are considering is the fact that an author diversifies his identity in many authorships, right? So, I believe... I believe this, it is for the first time in history of literature that, that a particular author gives life in a single work of thought to 117 different persons. In this case, the author is Ibn Arabi, but uh, from another perspective, every person in particular, as an uh, autonomous prototypical entity, is an independent author. So this is different to other cases of heteronymy. So this recreation of 117 heteronymous in a single work is, in my understanding, a phenomenon of diversification of literary identity, truly unique, that deserves a particular recognition. Well, this was just a literary approach. Now, briefly, I will pass briefly, I will not go into the details, but we are not uh, sure of the dates of composition of the Kitab al-Abadila. All, all I came to know to the moment is that without other mm, data appearing, uh, we have a, a period of 20 years. In between the, 60, the 606, which is the date of death of one of Ibn Arabi's companion in Al-Andalus, of whom in the book he writes Rahimahullah, as he writes of, of in Al-Mushahid, in that case is Im Qasun. So he knows, uh, if I understand well, that, uh, that he died. Anyway, another date we have uh, for certain is 601, which is the date in which he visited the master from whom he learned a hadith. So, and this is mentioned in the book. So let's say from the 606 Hijra uh, and the 626 Hishra as well, uh, the book was written. Because we have a Sama, we have a, a, an, a certificate of authenticity in this year, 626, in Syria, in, in your town, Ahmad. <laughs> and uh, and uh, at this moment, his disciples are reading with him this book, in particular in Saudakin, Konawi himself, so um, it's a clear date. But 20 years, waiting for more for a more clear datation. Now, a very interesting uh, point is the fact that I number the sentences pronounced by each, of the, each one of the servants of God. And the result of, the, of it, is, uh, it seems to be very significant. In the first five sections, 
we count the sentences of every section, so I will not give you the numbers 119, 88, etc. But the total of sentences is 474. 474. Now, what, what is uh, interesting is that in the second part of the book, the total of the sentences is, guess what, 474. <laughs> well, in the original, the sentences are not numbered. But uh, this seems to, to, to show to us that the author was looking for a symbolical a quantitative balance, equilibrium among the two parts of the book and that the resulting number mm, should be significant. One more question for the audience. <laughs> Who would find it significant or just coincidental? It's difficult, no? It's such a coincidence of 474 sentences. Anyway, ensemble would be 948 sentences. Why I give these numbers? Because presuming, as it is the case in Fusus al-Hikam and so many other works, that numerical values are significant to understand the whole, I just offer them to you, as I will do to other people, in order to, be, to have help in understanding. Every chapter has around eight sentences. Some, as there is one with one single sentence, the maximum is 22. As a reflection on the numerical values in search of the symbolical sense of these numbers, note that reducing to the the minus, through the minus system, the values of 474 does 15, does 1 plus 5 equals 6. So this is one of the procedures Ibn Arabi uses. The final result of each part will be 6. And as you know, the wow symbolizes, this is the letter wow. Wow, by the way, he didn't know. It's not, it was not prepared in advance. The letter wow symbolizes human perfect being. One more approach. First part equals 6. Second part equals six. First part is ordered into tenths, because every ten chapters you get, uh, you, you get a different section. It means it belongs to the order of, of the tenths, like 60. And second part belongs to the order of unities, so it's 66, meaning Allah, for example. Another idea, which is the value of Allah, right? Another idea brings me some more ideas in this sense. Allow, allow me to understand the first part as Abd and the second part of, as Allah. Uh, difficult to explain you, too many numbers, and it is tiring. It's something you have to read, right? Nothing for sure, nothing I'm, I'm happy in terms of inspirational approach that I thought, oh, I found it. No, so uh, it is an open question. Now, correlation, very important subject. Correlation of the chapters of the book with the Quranic chapters. Chodkevich, in his moment, suggested l'hypothèse d'une grille de lecture coranique, which I will not translate because I get <laughs> So, that's to say the idea that there had to be a correlation of the chapters of the book with the Quranic surahs, just this. As he specifies in his study, the first chapter or section would correspond to the Fatiha. We are going to read the chapter, inshallah, so you will see yourselves to what degree it's obvious that the first chapter corresponds to the Fatiha. The second to the second surah, the, he would study, for example, the chapter 18 as corresponding to surah 18, uh, as well as some other three chapters he, he explicitly mentioned. Those are the examples he, he gives to us in Océan Saint Rivage. Océan without shore in English. After, these, uh, possible, after showing these possible correspondences 
indicating some thematic and textual uh, aspects that justify them. Chopkevich explains that in his, in his view, an oeil exercé identifierait dans l'équitable à la badida bien d'autres éléments de même nature dans la première moitié du texte imprimé. So a person knowing how to recognize that will see clearly that in the first half of the book, but he adds, in the second half, as it is presently published in, the, in this Cairo edition, uh, this kind of approach is not that easy, it cannot be done. And he was perfectly right. So I, I uh, agree with the correspondences he suggested that personally I find evident. On the other hand, it is, it is natural that he couldn't work with the second part because 16 chapters were missing. So this correspondence was uh, impossible to establish. can show you later on in the, later on in, for those attending the, the seminar, the workshop, uh, in, in a list we can see what chapters are those and, and everything. Now, I kept exploring this, uh, but not in a systematic manner, this relationship, and I found that the chapter three, obviously, in my view, but as obviously it can be with the language of allusions and the subtlety of the sheikh, but chapter three, four, uh, up to, to chapter 12, I found clear correspondences, except for chapter 11. There I couldn't, but it's my inability it does not mean there is not, but you, you read the chapter, then you read the, the surah, it's a long surah, so it's not that, sometimes it's two words here and there, and it's not that, that obvious all time, but in most cases it's immediately evident, right? But then I, I moved and I found, for example, chapter 54 corresponding to the surah in which Noah uh, is mentioned and so many details that are clearly connected. Then I say, okay, let's work more with this in this direction with the second part. This is already in the second part. So exploring chapter 105 is clearly connected. The, the, there is, is this idea of, of the battle of the elephant reflected in a number of sentences in a very subtle way. So it's not an obvious commentary. It's not making always an evident connection, but as, as he always do in these cases. Now, this is too technical. The main thing now for you to experience the fact of this connection is that I'm going to translate to you chapter 112 connected to Surat Al-Ikhlas, which I guess is familiar, you are familiar with, in, uh, most of you. So it's a, it's a short surah, it's a long, a long chapter in Ibn Arabi. We, we can experience this connection. In that case, for example, if you remember the ayat Lam Yalid Walam Yulad, the whole chapter is dealing with the notion of wilada in sentences five and, and six. Uh, even he uses the expression lam tulad in a second person, right? So it's, it's quite clear the, the, the correspondence. This chapter will be called Abdullah and Hibatullah and Abdel Batin. And uh, I'm wondering about time. I think I wrote too much. I should have translated this instead of <laughs> keep writing. Now, next question, I will pass quickly because otherwise we are not going to taste his direct text, which is the most central issue for the, for the situation, is that I was also looking for the, uh, for the correspondence. Uh, once you reach the chapter 114, previous chapters, 113, 114, also correspond to the last surahs. 
I have no, no personal doubt about it. So we have three remaining chapters. Now what? What are those? That's why in a, at a certain point I said I don't think Chodkiewicz is right because 100, when I found 117 chapters, without more research I say, mm, I don't see the correspondence with the Quran. Now I have to say he was right in my view. And, uh, and then, fortunately, we have a suggestion of Abdelbaki Miftah, the Algerian scholar, who um, faced this, pro this uh, question and he suggested informally that those three could correspond to the three scriptures explicitly mentioned in the Quran, which are Sabur, the Psalms by David, and the Injil, the, the, the Gospels, thank you, and the Torah, right? So those are the only three explicit mentions of a title, or other, although some other mentions, as in some passages, Hikmah and some other terms, could be, we could ask ourselves, are those also referring to scriptures? But it's not that clear. The three explicit are those. Now, personally, I believe that those three last chapters correspond, in fact, to these three scriptures. Um, those are the servants called Abdullah ben Asbat ben Abdel Muntakim, where Asbat is a strange use of a personal name. It means tribes, and this refers to the 12 tribes of, of Israel. As far as I know, uh, Ahmad, it is not used as a personal name, no? You know, so any person called Asbat? No. Uh, so, some Quranic reference where Asbat is mentioned are mentioned, if you want, is singular or plural, depending on how we consider, after Abraham, Ismail, Isaac, and Jacob, as if it was treated uh, as a personal name. So, connecting uh, David uh, to, to these uh, tribes of Israel, this uh, particular name could be alluded to the Sabur, or the Book of Psalms. And in his condition of, of, uh, of a warrior, of a king, and by his uh, exercise of justice and the, and the relation with Goliath and many other uh, things, he, uh, David could be associated with the name Al-Muntakim, the Avenger, uh, which is, Ibn Arabi always insists, let's not forget, a name of uh, hidden grace. Right? So, in my view, this chapter will relate to the Sabur. Chapter 116, Abdullah ben Yushua ben Abdel Ali al-Muta'ali, uh, would correspond, I believe, to the Torah. Josue, uh, Joshua is the author of one of the biblical books and can, can, can be together with those names, Ali, Muta'ali, of supreme elevation, can well allude to the sacred text of the Torah. Implicit reference to the creation of Adam could allude to the Genesis. Then... Uh, then the meaning of Joshua, um, because of, of the Arabic root connected to it, has also got the meaning of ascension and elevation. So the whole thing has to see with revelation, and so the, the idea of Torah could, could well go. This is subtle correspondences, it's not evident, I know. But let's, cons let's keep considering the last chapter, Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman ibn Abdurrahman. Uh, so Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman, you know, Abdurrahman the servant of time with capital. Two divine names that, in, that perhaps can be considered as references to the exceptional singular condition of Jesus, associated here to Ar-Rahman by his condition of 
Rahim by excellence, and the name Adahr, time, as a possible reference to his advent at the end of times, um, possible allusion to the apocalypse and whatever, a sense of time connected to the figure of Jesus. Plausible, although not evident. Anyway, that's all the reflection uh, on, the, on the structure. It's a pity because now my, my main contribution would be that getting back to the question, to the answer of Ibn Arabi to Hakim Tirmidhi, where we have some other three questions relating to akhlaq, so questions connected to the matter, which I, I will not comment on here. In, in answer to this, uh, he develops very much the idea of akhlaq, and I found that we can approach the 117 chapters from the Quran, from the surahs, but we can also approach them from the perspective of the 117 akhlaq. Fortunately, we have a description of the, at least of the four first akhlaq Ibn Arabi considers, and in my view, those four clearly correspond to the four first chapters of the book. So, from an hermeneutic perspective, we, we have to consider every chapter. From the fact that every chapter suggests a relation, I mean, has a relation with a personal name of a prophet or a saint. Mentioned personal name, right? Whether it is Rasul, Wali, or, or, uh, or Nabi. Then, and some are very, very interesting, elusive names, people that are not known. None of the servants mentioned is a known, alive character. Those are all, always spiritual uh, typologies. Whether they are alive in another dimension, that's another matter, but not historical characters. Anyway, we have this approach through the personal name. We have the approach through the, the divine name. And we have an approach through the particular divine human character, uh, Huluk, so the Akhlaq, which is connected to the chapter, and the Surah, which is connected to the chapter, or the scripture connected to the chapter, right? Four different main approaches. So you will have to wait to read that. Oh, these four. The, the, there is such a beautiful mention of Al-Andalus that I cannot refrain myself. <laughs> <laughs> In the fourth huluk or disposition, he says, among this disposition is the disposition of the suspension of, cause, of causes, of secondary causes, in the essence of, of existence or in the essence of your own being. And in this, uh, there are degrees of, of which I have experience, I was stopped at, I have experienced the stations of those degrees in Al-Andalus. In Al-Andalus, I have experienced the station corresponding to 100 degrees, which are not found in their kamal, in their integrity, in, in any other place, only in the spiritual entity of this region. And I was so proud. <laughs> 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 and uh, so he says in the Ruhaniya Dalikaliklim. Interesting. I think always these this very personal geographic references in such a an ontological, cosmological framework are always mysterious and linking our common experience in this dimension to, to, to the other dimension. So it's, it's interesting. Um, and this is a very important phrase to understand. I wonder whether it, it will appear later on, just in case. 
he keep going after this mention of Al-Andalus and the 100 degrees to each part of the earth and thus I, I interpret to every sensible entity corresponds an spiritual entity of superior order Ruhaniya Ulwiya which has here his, its site in, in her in this part of the, of the earth or any en sensible entity to this a spiritual entity corresponds uh, in his tongue uh, a divine essential reality Hakika Ilahiya which expands and, and assists and, and helps it helps for its manifestation being that and this essential reality is what is called divine disposition or divine character Huluk Ilahi so what are the akhlaq? those are the haqaiq which are the subject of the book in Arabic says on fil haqaiq on the haqaiq which are the haqaiq? the akhlaq it's the same idea right? So, so this allows us to understand that this relation of the 117 Ahlak is clearly connected. He is developing this theme during all the, the work. Mm. Now we have, uh, he's describing, he describes the four uh, first disposition, then 14 that only know, only God knows, which may correspond to the 14 enigmatic letters of the Quran, may correspond to the 14 individuals in other dimensions and, the, and the, of the main figures for sustaining creation, right? Uh, from the Kutub to the Abdal, they are 14 in some of his presentations of the matter. May refer to many, to the 14 <laughs> contemplations in Mashahid al Azrar, I mean, to many meanings of 14. So we have four, then 14. Then he explains that also the 99 names are connected to it. And, and now we have 117. 4 plus 14 plus 99. Right? I keep uh, relating the presentation of, the, of those characters to the chapters, but this will be too much for our time. And in and according to the methodology, I already mentioned these four realms, but also we have, from another perspective, to consider uh, three, uh, sorry, four groups, or at least four groups of persons. One, what is the, the meaning of the chapter in relation to Muhammad as a primordial prototype of plural unity of human being and as the seal of prophecy integrating the totality of revealed words, Second, we have to consider what does it mean in relation to Ibn Arabi as the, as the ultimate author of the book and um, uh, communicating all these inspirations that, he, that the book contains and as the seal of Muhammadian sainthood. Then we have to consider in relation to humanity as an ensemble and to all the, the depositaries, we can say? No. The, those who receive the specific knowledge corresponding to each chapter in particular, to, so to all, all those saints and masters mentioned. And finally, in relation to oneself uh, as uh, inner community, microcosmic synthesis and expression of this plural unity characterizing the, the human nature. I will not comment also the relation of the world with other worlds by the Sheikh because it would take long and I would love to at least read a bit of his own words in the, 
in the work. How is going time? Little just <laughs> so little taste we are going to get. He says, presenting the book, so so you'll understand better. This is a book in which we have mentioned, rememorated, is the root of Zakara, what uh, the tongues of the servants of God prefer, uh, realizing that which the truth made them verified, showed to them as, as an essential truth in the secret of their hearts. Uh, as well as that, that their tongues translated and, and communicated, Tarjamat, to the heart of the Gnostics, proceeding from the tongues of the Fahuaniya. That's to say, according to Ibn Arabi's definition, from the realm of the articulation of the divine word. In the confrontation with their uh, interlocutor, no, with the, with, the, with the other speaker, in the intermediate realm of exemplars of similitudes, alam al-mithal, from the word of the presence, kalimat al-hadra, and referring to the word kun. So all these discourses are coming from the realm of B, of the realm of the order, of the divine order. And this, this was such before it became clarified, uh, arriving to their inner uh, consciousness. Thus, they spoke with eloquence According to, they spoke with eloquence by virtue of the divine order uh, in relation to the visible and the invisible, as well in relation to knowledge as to the practice of servitude, Ibadah. The interpreter, and this is a central idea, as the interpreter of the Sayyid in his other books, this is a, a frequent concept in Ibn Arabi that deserves uh, further treatment. The interpreter, Mutarjim, uh, in this book, is the son, the totalizing, inclusive, comprehensive son, Ibn Jamia, of a limited, restrictive father, Ab Muqadiyad. The question is thus, in, in, in the relation between fatherhood and, and uh, sonhood. <laughs> and uh, so the relation of a father with a son. And it is extensive to the conditions of a wali or the rasul or the or a nabi, prophet or, or saint. Given that the name Abdullah, servant of God, is an inclusive name integrating all the degrees of elevation, we have mm, in, put it um, in the first term of, if, of each genealogy or chapter of the book as uh, the interpreter, because uh, the interpreter, Tajuman, is the one who unites languages. Jamia al-Sina. So the idea is that this Abdullah appearing at the beginning of each name is the interpreter from the realm of the presence to the particular heart or consciousness of every single uh, servant in the intermediary um, world of, of Mithal and then uh, expressing through Ibn Arabi as the, uh, as the final compiler. So uh, following that, we have link this Abdullah to the station of a particular servant uh, that has been uh, gifted with a, with a certain degree among the degrees of a divine name and also uh, to a perfect individual, to a perfect person, Shahs Kamil, 
whether he is a prophet or a, or a wali. So we have always this structure, except in one case. One particular servant is only Abdullah ibn Abdul Haq, and there is no mention of personal name. I, I think we should reflect on the fact that it could be Ibn Isa, but I'm not sure. And the chapter, this is one thing to, to develop. Uh, some chapters are, are really immediately significant. We are going to work with this, with the meaning of the relationship of names and, and personal names in the book. For example, to give you a taste, there is a mention of Abdullah ibn Jirjis, George, ibn uh, Abd Shahid. So George, son of the servant of the witness, the Shahid bin contemplation witness. Interesting. First, probably he is living in Syria at this moment, and thus, as he was in Al-Andalus, still very much in touch with Christianity and, and, and all Abrahamic tradition. So Jijis, a Christian saint, appears there as one of the awliya. Jijis, in most representations, even in this old time, is connected to a horse and a dragon. The dragon immediately belongs to the realm of Hayal, of imagination. The horse as well, because it is Hayal, same root as Hayal. So the horse connected to imagination, because the Himar, the, the donkey, is intellectual. The bagler, the mule, is intermediary, and the, the, the Hayal is, is imagination. So immediately, Jijis is connected to imagination. The language, the language by excellence of imagination is poetry. It may be explained in, in many places. <coughs> Jijis is connected to contemplation, shahada. So is, we are in, clearly in the realm of imagination because of the dragon, the horse, and the shahada. Now, it's the only chapter in the whole book that only, exclusively, contains poetry. Not a single line in prose. Interesting, huh? All, all, the, all the book is that subtle and this moving when you, when you face it. Hmm. That's it, huh? Uh, so the rest of it will be for the workshop. I, I thank you very much for your attention. And may we soon read together this, this Abadila. Okay.